welcome to CCIRA Literacy Conversations. I have two lovely guests today. I'm going to, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. I am Kim Yaris. And I am Jan Birkins. Should we? And do you guys want to tell us a little bit about what you do, maybe for some of our listeners who are not sure. familiar with you? Sure. Um, so we are the co-authors of two books, Reading Wellness and Who's Doing the Work?, um, Jan and I both work as staff developers in schools across the country doing mm -hmm. work internationally and nationally. Um, we work with groups of teachers in workshops and trainings, but our favorite work is the work that we do with teachers in their in classrooms. Schools. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we were both teachers before we were um, PD providers and writers, mm -hmm. um, and I taught the lower elementary grades, and Kim taught the upper elementary grades, exactly. so it's a nice compliment. Between us, we have K more than covered. 50 <laughs> years of, uh, of experience in education, so we've been at it a while, yes. and um, we met on Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, we have an anniversary coming up. Is it seven years or eight years? Seven years. Seven years. It's seven years. It's seven years. So... Awesome. Um, so I know in terms of my background, I'm most familiar with who's doing the work. Yes. Um, so we can kind of start with talking about that sure, a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. And um, I'm trying to think something from there that like the next generation kind of idea yeah. and how that yeah. looks different mm -hmm. from oh, sure. maybe kind of a more traditional sure. look. Sure. Great. So the idea behind next generation literacy is this idea about taking a good idea and evolving it to make it better. So we think that literacy is just filled with wonderful ideas, but there is always the but, right? You know, there's always things that aren't working exactly the way we want them to be making and uh, working. And so Jan, and that's what Jan and I do. Mm -hmm. We just look at these things and we figure out well, what could we do differently? How can mm -hmm. we make small changes and adjustments um, and change them so that they work better? Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of that thinking has been around um, noticing the ways that we tend to do the work for kids in different instructional contexts. So looking at read aloud and saying, what are common you know, familiar, conventional practices in read-aloud instruction that could be adjusted where kids do more of the work. And then we do that in shared reading and think, so where are we taking on work that kids could be doing for themselves? And it's about trying to counter learned helplessness, which is widespread, um, because we're, as teachers, we tend to be rescuers, you know, we... We tend to want to not let them struggle and we jump in sometimes a little too fast or we do a little too much of the thinking work for them. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then we do that. We've done that with guided reading. We've done that with independent reading. And so our work is very much around showing teachers what that looks like in the mm -hmm. classroom. So, you know, you already know I'm coming from a little bit different background. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking of two glorious girls that <laughs> I call my stress balls very lovingly and they know it um and they're sort of those helpless mm -hmm. like please help me help me help me mm -hmm. and they're great brilliant young ladies 
but they don't trust themselves. Yeah. So what are some things that you do that help kids kind of gain that trust in themselves? Some of those small steps, like you said, those little changes yes. that might help them as they're reading a text in science. Absolutely. Or, you know, well, working through a task. We think a lot about the language that we use when we're helping kids. So um, oftentimes when kids are coming to us with issues, difficulties, you know, it's our superhero kind of kicks in and it's like, duh, 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 teacher to the rescue. Um, and we want to give them the strategy that they need or um, say, it, why don't you try this? Or why don't you try yeah, this? You know, basically, so that to basically we're thinking we want to jumpstart their thinking and that give them what they need. But, but where we've shifted is we know that they know. And we communicate to them that we know that they know, or lots of times mm -hmm. they know. And so instead of giving it to them, we just, you know, encourage them to pause and think. We use open-ended questions that require them to do some thinking. Like we'll say, well, how are you going to figure that out? Or what are you going to try? You know, and it communicates to students that we believe in you. Mm -hmm. And we believe that you're going to believe in yourself too, mm -hmm. you know, once you figure this out. Because there is an adrenaline rush that comes with, you know, figuring something out. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I, I know. Yeah, it's the endorphins that come yeah. from solving a problem. And so we want to connect kids with that. And we do that through our language. Mm -hmm. And, and it's also, it's, it's not just the words we say, it's, it's what we don't say. And so, um, that starts with increasing our wait time. And so kids know that they can wait us out and that they, um, if they sit and look at us, that eventually we're going to come in with a solution for them or make a suggestion of something that they could try. And if they wait even longer, we're going to get more and more specific with our suggestions mm -hmm. and they're not going to have to do much of the work. And so we have a tool called the prompting funnel um, in the last chapter of our book, which is it basically is a, a mental model for starting with broad questions that give kids the most responsibility and then gradually working to more narrow. And when you use that for the first time with kids who are unaccustomed to it, you're going to have a an uncomfortable amount of wait time. Like you're going to have to wait beyond what feels comfortable for you. And and but because they're like, wait, this something's changing here, you know, they're like this is if I this is really dragging out, but I'm not sure. Am I going to just jump in and do this? But then eventually, and teachers tell us this, like when I first tried it, it felt like I was waiting forever, and now they're jumping in much faster and doing the work. And so it's one of the things that teachers say most impacts their practices, um, you know, affects the outcomes in their class when they pull back a little bit. It's the stepping back so kids can move forward. Mm -hmm. So so one of the things that I was thinking about when Jan was talking about wait time. Now, obviously, Jan and I did not invent wait time. Wait time, <laughs> you know, that's something we've been talking about as educators, yes. you know, forever. But I think that in this period of time of high teacher accountability and lots mm -hmm. of standards, there's been more and more pressure on teachers. And so there's like, 
we, we feel we succumb to this pressure and we've got to get through this, 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 mm-hmm. this, 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 and this. And who has time for kids to think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the great <laughs> irony of education, right? right? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. so it's kind of just like, a, you know, a nudging to reacquaint mm-hmm. yourself with the value and the beauty of what wait time communicates to students. It's mm-hmm. funny. I was in a, I once had a principal say to me um, when I was trying to encourage them to think more about text selection and kids talking about text. He said, we don't have time to teach reading. We have all of these standards we're teaching. And there was something really ironic about that. Like, we can't teach reading. We have to teach these standards. Well, isn't that the end goal, right? Mm-hmm. To like, we're, we're talking about long-term and lifelong readers. And so, mm-hmm. right. And strategic, passionate, confident readers. Yes. Mm-hmm. And we have to keep that end goal in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as you guys were talking, I was thinking, I like to put like a target of the week or sometimes it's a mm-hmm. month for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. next to my computer. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking my target could be that, um, so I need to give some back, a little more background information on this. So you were mentioning, you know, we can say, why don't you try this? Or why don't you try that? But that makes them dependent on us to give them a strategy. And so my target of the week might be, are you making kids dependent or independent? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so every choice you make, if, if that's my target for the week, when I make educational choices, I can be asking myself, are you making them dependent or independent? Mm-hmm. So yes. I like to pick something like yeah. that to mm-hmm. kind of be oh, like, okay, cool. how can I improve my practice? What that's little thing neat. can I focus on right mm-hmm. now? So I I think I'll take that back okay. next week. That's going to be my target <laughs> for next week. Okay. I love that. It's almost, and um, you know, are you scaffolding or are you carrying? Mm-hmm. You know, scaffolding has become carrying. <laughs> <laughs> scaffolding as a metaphor has been kind of the, the interpreted as the way that we can take kids into any work. Even if the text is too hard, if we scaffold, they're going to get it. Well, scaffolding in that context is actually carrying. It means mm-hmm. we're doing... uses the lesson sets, and that's what she's told us that using lesson sets is like for her. Mm-hmm. So the book is the record. Yep. The lesson sets are the video. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the other thing about the lesson sets that makes it PD is that... There, you know, there's a there are the steps in the lesson, but there's a column that runs along the lesson procedure that is our think aloud. Mm-hmm. Like here's step one. Here's why we're doing this now. Here's the pedagogical thinking behind it. And so it's a it's a teaching tool for kind of transfer of the ideas. The other and, oh, I'm oh, sorry. No, go. The thing that I'm also thinking about is that. In who's doing the work thinking, some of the most important work that we say, you know, share that we think is the backbone and pivotal to literacy instruction is great text. Mm-hmm. And in in the lesson sets, we have taken like painstaking, we were painstakingly thorough and really vetting the books that we selected. Um, and we think that that could really change lots of things for kids in classrooms if they were reading really great mm-hmm. books. And and I think teachers love that. I think mm-hmm. that's what they ask for when they're mm-hmm. talking about reading instruction. So often they're like, but what are the really good texts yes. that I can use? They're always looking for better texts. Yes. So the fact that you guys have it's done that work and that they can challenge. find those texts. Um, jumping back to when you guys mentioned 
starting with a piece of art. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I was thinking that also when you were talking about reading things, you're really starting kids off with observation skills. Absolutely. Like you're building those early on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming from a content background, you know, I think about social studies teachers. We oh, do that a yeah. lot. Oh, We're always sure. like starting with a piece of art yes. and, or an artifact. I yeah. used to yes. take my kids before we worked on like analyzing a written piece. Mm-hmm. I have this old axe head mm-hmm. that my grandpa just picked up off the ground of the plains uh-huh. with his grandpa. And so, you know, it's this old axe head from, you know, some sort of grasslands natives. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'd give it to the kids and they have no idea what it is, mm-hmm. but, you know, or, or sometimes they can immediately guess because it is familiar. Right. And they're like, well, it's an axe <laughs> or it's a hammer. And you're like, but why? How do you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a handle. Hammers that I know have a handle. And so then they start, you know, really observing things. Well, you see this here, Miss Rao? Right. And you see this piece? And then we can take that back to the text because, you know, I can point Absolutely. out to them all the thinking that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so really you're working with Absolutely. kids on thinking through stuff and noticing things yes. and helping point out to them when they're doing that. Am I, am I understanding Absolutely. kind of yes. Yes. where yes. you're starting yes. at least? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Naming what they do. You know, we love Peter Johnston's work, mm. you know, about noticing and naming. Um, and, um, you know, we, we really are advocates of the grandmother method, which we learned about from Sugata Mitra. Mm-hmm. Um who is a professor in England who studies the the science of self-directed learning. Mm-hmm. And so he he put computer kiosks in in villages in remote villages in India and watched the kids. There was like viewing software so he could see what they were doing on the computer. Mm-hmm. And in a period of three, four months, they became amazingly proficient with the computer. And he was like, you know, he wanted to up the ante and see what, just what, how challenging a task he could give them and have them teach themselves. And what he found was that village kids who had never seen a computer before could teach themselves the science of DNA replication as well as Urban children from an affluent area taught by a trained biologist when their teacher, who was a soccer coach, not a trained biologist, stood behind them and every time they figured something out, he said, wow, how did you do that? So it's, it's the grandmother method. Mm-hmm. It's, it's prompting them to reflect, naming what they're doing and having them go back through the process it's, it's almost teaching them to learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're taking me back to like <laughs> my teacher licensure, pro- licensure program. Ooh, end of day. Because <laughs> I, um, I remember an assignment where we were given a text and our professor was like, all right, I want you to highlight what's important. And then afterwards she's like, how did you pick things? Yes. And I think that's, you know, it's one of those simple strategies that yeah. we're probably using, but maybe not using as often or as effectively as right. maybe we all could. But sometimes it's those simple gems that well, we are worry, yeah, so We worry amazing. a little bit when we tell that story <laughs> because, you know, it could, the t- one takeaway somebody might take away from it could be, what are you saying? Kids don't need teachers. teachers. Uh-huh. We're not. And saying we're not that. saying that. We're not <laughs> saying that. What we're saying is, 
we need to think about the way we're scaffolding kids, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and we're really, we need to think about how kids learn best. Um, and I think that sometimes, you know, that superhero in us really needs to be, you know, nurtured, you know, we're doing that. Like we, when we think yeah. about ourselves as helpers, you know, we have a, almost a little bit of a myopic way of thinking about it and we could be helpers in different ways. And mm. when we think about, um, the grandmother effect or the grandmother method, that's a different kind of helping yes. that potentially has a lot more impact. Much more yeah. empowering. Again, and we like back to my target. <laughs> am I am I, you know, helping them in the moment or mm-hmm. really am I helping, helping them, them for the in the long, long term? Oh mm-hmm. yeah. And I think, you know, when you think about the grandmother method and when you think about that study you know, we, we talk a lot about um, socioeconomics and achievement gaps, and it's interesting because the children who f- fall into those gaps, you know, who are most at risk, are the ones we are least likely to practice the grandmother method with. They're the ones we're most likely to carry rather than scaffold. They're the ones that we're quick to swoop in on. We give less wait time. We give less choice. And so it's not surprising that we we end up in this quandary. So, and and it comes from a place of caring. It does like, absolutely. Oh, I feel for yeah, you. I absolutely. want to help you. Absolutely. And forgetting that you know there might be better ways to mm-hmm. care for them. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to think, where do we go next? <laughs> so many, so many different pathways. You know, I was just—it's such a lovely setting. I, I, it's <laughs> I very gonna, hard yeah. not to be like drawn to the mountains right outside mm-hmm. the glass door. There, it's like it's a lovely place to do a podcast. I know, right? <laughs> it's gorgeous. My own room is on the opposite side of the hotel. Oh, okay. There's uh-huh. a view of the parking lot, which is beautiful in its own way, I'm sure, to someone. <laughs> but I get to come here and record and it's like, oh, I can actually see the mountains. I know. I've been, it's I've been really gorgeous. Really just mesmerized by this as I've been sitting here saying, wow. Yeah. Very Speaking gorgeous. of those opportunities to notice things. Yes. Yes. yes <laughs> absolutely. Yes. You know, we should mention, um, you know, as we've talked about tech selection, we didn't mention, we mentioned the, well, see, so when you're, sorry, I'm having 12 thoughts at one time, but when you're you're developing lessons across the gradual release and you're trying to align instruction rather than silo it, so Mm -hmm. we're doing one thing in read aloud, one thing in shared, one thing in guided, one thing in independent, but instead we're connecting it. You not only need excellent books for everything, but you need excellent books that help you, that teach into what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So they've got to serve whatever strategy you're trying to teach. And Mm -hmm. so so finding the read aloud text and the shared text, particularly as you consider reading level for each of those, like the difficulty level for a read aloud text is going to be higher than the difficulty level for the shared reading text. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to guided, it's going to be on students' instructional reading level. And guided was the hardest place. And we both have really, across our careers, put a lot of thought into guided reading. And and, um, particularly beginning reading text. The first Mm -hmm. time we got together in person, we met, we mentioned we met on Twitter. And the first time we got together in person, we got together in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And we brought guided reading books from our collections that were levels A through E so we could read them together and see if we could figure out which publishers 
had great guided reading books. And, and what we found, we developed a rubric together that day and began analyzing as often as we could guided reading books. And what we found is that um, about 25% of what's out there is, is really terrible. Like you wouldn't even want to use it with a child at all. And we're talking about beginning reading books, levels and, A through E. And when we say that, so they're the kind of books that don't make any sense whatsoever. I'll give you a for example is that there was once a, a level or uh, a, a short vowel sound O reader that I read with uh, that I picked up from a book room. And the way it, the, the story went like this, um, a boy was going for a walk in the woods. As he walked through the woods, he and we, and we get why teachers choose not to do guided reading in upper grades because it's so hard to find great texts. Mm -hmm. And even texts, oftentimes even texts that are written for guided reading in upper grades are just too long for guided mm -hmm. reading. And yeah. so um, it, it becomes a challenge. So it's our next, you know, we've tackled the K through two, wrote the lesson sets and developed, you know, all these guided reading books with Mondo that go with the lesson sets. And now we're, we're digging into what do we do to support three through five teachers who are trying to teach guided reading with, with texts that are not fabulous and are not meeting their needs. Mm -hmm. And so... And are hard to find. Yes. Yes. So that's our... I mean, really, text selection is... There needs to be a collaborative out there where a teacher's like, I have this great text. Yes. And other teachers can be like, yeah, and I have this one. And they can, yes. you know... Just I think it might be called Twitter. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. It Twitter. might be called Twitter. But, but, the, but then yeah. there has to be somebody who's curating it all. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. We, we need a curator for this. So complex. Yeah. It does. So. so if you have amazing texts and you're listening right. to this, email them to me. Because um, <laughs> we want to know. Yes, yes. Um, oh. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I keep going to this is not my hat because... I think to some degree, we know we have that text, even without a rubric, we know we have you know, it because you can feel it. Yeah. Yes. Like, that's a great, you know, it's a great. I've probably only read that book a couple times with my nephew mm -hmm. and, this, uh, and, it, and it's been a few years at least, mm -hmm. but I still remember it, you know, I yes. had that moment where as soon as you were talking oh about it, like gosh. I could feel it. Yeah. And so, you know, just really. For all of us, think when you're reading something, even, you know, that's a picture book for, right. you know, it's not, I'm not its target audience, but right. I could, but you love I, it. Yeah, yeah. I could you just, love it. you know, it reminds me. It's quality. Yeah. When we wrote um, Reading Wellness, um, Reading Wellness has lessons in it and we set out, we established at the beginning our, um, our thingies, <laughs> intentions, yes. our four intentions. That's it. Yes, this is what happens. This, you know, our flight. We didn't. We should have started with the story of our flight in today. Yeah. We were last night. Our flight oh, I was heard delayed. About this, this morning, our yes. flight was delayed, 
And um, so we we had a layover in Nashville, but we couldn't get a flight into Colorado mm-hmm. last night. Yeah, and so you got so here last you, minute this morning. So right. one of you was running yes. to present while the other one brought Waiting your for stuff the luggage. In and like, yes, yeah. we and we were arriving, you know, just in time. And mm-hmm. like the power cord, we started the presentation today by saying. Is there anyone out there who has a MacBook Air that's about two years old? If you have a power cord, can we use it? So it's just been, mm-hmm. we've been up since three and it's been that kind yeah, of day. So these ladies have had a long day <laughs> and it's later in the evening and they're still gracious enough to come record with me because they're amazing humans. We so. did say we're glad it's not video. We're glad it's a podcast <laughs> because we're not just as fresh as we would like to be for a video. But the four intentions, we wrote them... Um, as of as a lens for looking at any lessons we develop, and when we were developing the lessons in reading wellness, you know, we said first intention is alignment, and that is alignment with your inner teacher. Mm-hmm. So, how does your inner teacher feel about the work that you're doing with kids? Um, do you believe in the lesson? Do you feel at home in this lesson, or are you sacrificing some part of yourself? And then the balance. second one. And by balance, we mean, does it align with standards mm-hmm. and the accountability measures that schools put forth? Mm-hmm. So my, my inner teacher might feel really at home and have that sense of alignment by making cotton ball bunnies. But I'm not going to be able to do that because I have some responsibility to the district and I have some accountability. So trying to balance those two. So alignment is alignment to inner teacher. Balance is the counterpoint of standards and accountability. The third one is sustainability. And how does the lesson give kids something transferable to other lessons? Is there language that they can grab a hold of? Like when we teach mindset, we teach leaning in and leaning out as a metaphor for mindset. And they can use that in math. They can use that in science. They can use that anytime. And so trying to do something sustainable in the lesson. And then finally, the fourth intention is joy. You know, doesn't, you know, reminds, it made me think of it when you were telling that story. Yes. You know, is it joyful? I mean, do the kids love it? Do you as a teacher love it? I mean, are we happy learning? Because at the end of the day, we're going to learn best and most when we're happy. And there's research behind it. Like that Mm -hmm. engagement piece translates into improved literacy. Like there's like the Gallup research out um, a few years ago, the, the enormous study that they did showed a very strong positive correlation with the engagement in a school and the literacy outcomes. And so, but it's interesting when we were writing the lessons in reading wellness and we would, we would field test them and we'd work with kids and teachers to, to try and improve them and think them through. And, and inevitably we'd go and do the lessons and we would hit the first three and we'd come back and go, there just wasn't enough joy. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. it's really easy when we're planning lessons. Well, not easy because it's a lot of work planning lessons, but it's easy to stop before you hit that joy factor. it's. I mean, if you're thinking about the standards you're teaching and you're thinking about the text selection, you're thinking all about all these pieces, it's, it's an extra step to really go, were they just begging not to stop at the end of this <laughs> lesson, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, our, that was our benchmark when we wrote those lessons. Like, 
when we would go to leave, would the kids go, oh, you know, like, this is over. Yeah. Yeah. And when they're feeling like, oh, my gosh, that went so fast. Yes. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. Like, pickled. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. I amazing. love those intentions mm. because I think, you know, in an age when a lot of teachers are feeling tired and burnt out, yeah. I think if you're focusing on those intentions, you're going to feel pretty happy and fulfilled and comfortable mm-hmm. in what you're doing. Yes. Absolutely. Because even if, you know, if you're that teacher who's like, well, I'm going to ignore those standards and all those other things, and I'm just going to go back to my room and do what I want, there's a sense of guilt that mm-hmm. ends up kind of sticking with you. Or if you're, um, you know, focused on only those things, then you feel the other things that are missing. Yeah. So finding the balance between all those intentions and making sure that you are kind of hitting that whole picture mm-hmm. of yes. what a good classroom looks like yeah. and feels like. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that feeling. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I so. think we forget about the feeling piece. Yes. Because yeah, there's we're busy. Yes. <laughs> we're busy. We're, we're like, busy. I gotta get it done. So I only have this much time. Yes, yeah. and but the and needs to feel good too. It does. Yeah, it, does. it really does. And they'll learn more that way. And Absolutely. we actually have we actually teach a dance oh. as a mnemonic mm. for the for the four intentions. So oh. when we do workshops, we have everybody up mm. dancing. Uh, that makes me wish it was video, even though I don't. Know. <laughs> <laughs> video dancing. Yes, yes. We usually have like Michael Jackson or it's something like really funky. It's like the Jane Fonda VHS. So That's yeah. right. Suddenly it That's becomes, right. you know, visual. Yes, absolutely. I'll have to find out about this. <laughs> the dance. Do a lot of dancing. I appreciate you ladies sure. coming and talking oh, to sure. me at the end of a long day. That yes. was wonderful. So much fun. To be here. And lots of great learning. Yeah. We appreciate having Can we, you guys having us. Yeah, it's been, it's gone. Speaking of going fast, it's gone really fast. I, I have to say, we were like... You know, we were happy to do it, but it's like, it's fine. It's been a long day, but it's gone really, really fast. And you've been lovely, and it yes. has been so much fun. Is it okay? Could we, and you can you can cut this off if it's not okay. <laughs> if we just tell folks where they can find our resources, because our publishers will Actually, kill, kill that's us. what I was about to You're ask. About to ask. Yes. Can you please share like, where Because we do this stuff, and our publishers like, and you didn't even tell them, like, who we are or yes. where to find it. So we're trying to be better. Yes, absolutely tell them because, okay. you know, hopefully they want to know after hopefully, listening to yeah, you. They want to see great. that, um, what was it? The prompting funnel. Yes, the prompting funnel. I'm like making you're a, doing a I'm gesture, making you're a doing funnel a dance. motion. Yeah, I'm like, there's a thing and it's, it's this shape. I know. So, yes, the prompting funnel because I want to go look that up and find out more about it. And Yeah. So, yeah. All right, tell them where they can find things. So, so. If you go to berkinsandyaris.com mm-hmm. and you search the prompting funnel, you'll be able to download a free uh, tool, tool yeah. that is the prompting funnel. That would funnel. be the first place to go. Yeah, exactly. Um, however, if you want to know more about our work, mm-hmm. you should go to Stenhouse, stenhouse.com. Um, Stenhouse Publishers has our book, Who's Doing the Work, our book, Reading Wellness, and our lesson sets. And then if you want to see the guided reading books that go with the lesson sets, the collection, you should go to Mondo Pub. Thanks for listening to CCIRA Literacy Conversations podcast. To find out more about CCIRA, go to ccira.org. 
On CCIRA.org, you can join as a member or find great resources like our professional development blog, which posts every Tuesday and has a variety of guest writers on an awesome selection of topics. CCIRA is a professional organization of educators and community members dedicated to the promotion and advancement of literacy. We also have a Twitter account at Colorado Reading. You can find us on Instagram at CCIRA underscore Colorado Reading. Or you can find us on Facebook where we also have a members only group that we're trying to build. And our Facebook account is CCIRA Colorado Reading. We'd love to hear more from you. And again, if you're looking for new content, please send any questions or things you'd be interested in seeing from CCIRA to CCIRA video at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.